that, that is him telling the team, I have no intentions and, and maybe never had any intention of coming back to the Tennessee Titans unless you break the bank for me. Welcome in to the Hot Read podcast for May the 4th. I am your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at Broadway Sports Media. We're brought to you today by Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Podcast Network. And I am joined by my co-host, James Foster of No Flags Film on YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter. James, how was your weekend? Did you sleep much? I did not sleep very much at all. <laughs> uh, it was a pretty wild draft weekend. Uh, a lot of preparation went into it, but uh, everything kind of went smoothly. Um, you know, working on finishing these final uh, videos on on the rest of our draft picks, and then probably going to take a, a well well deserved needed, break. well deserved uh, break for a week or so. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. You, um, we 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 had a really successful and fun time doing our our NFL draft live shows the first two nights of the draft, and every night you would dash off at the end to pulling all nighter making uh these videos of the titans draft picks to try to be the first on the scene and i just i went to bed those nights thinking i could not i could not stay up all night and, and grind uh youtube tape but you did it and they're great they turned out great so if you haven't gone and watched those uh go over to no Flags film on on youtube and check out those videos uh a because james stayed up all night working on them and they're really good but b to learn a little bit more about the draft picks that your team picked up this weekend. It was a crazy one this weekend and the draft, it was certainly more eventful for the Titans in my opinion, than than I went into it expecting like by a lot. Were you expecting things to be that dramatic? No, I mean, I was, I was pretty much expecting offensive line in the first round and then a uh, receiver in the third that I would be kind of underwhelmed with. And I was, <laughs> right. I, was, I mean, I was expecting just like a pretty, uh, routine draft weekend so did i uh, but you know they ended up with all the trades and everything having a, a ton more capital than they had going into it they were able to make some uh you know pretty interesting moves like i was i'm probably a little bit lower on the class than i think the consensus is like among the fan base and mm -hmm. just among the rest of the league but overall i thought it was still like a solid draft um and I, I think to me, the the lens that I'm viewing this draft through is that they're building for 2023. When I look right. at every pick um, in terms of the impact uh, that those players will will make next year, it's it's kind of questionable. But when you start to look at it through, they're kind of like accepting, okay, this this. Uh, this version of the team that took us to the AFC championship game, we had a lot of success with that version, uh, but it's, it's time to, to build the next version of the Tennessee Titans and, and move forward with that. So I think that uh, they did a good job of, of adding some, you know, developmental talent and um, you know, also some guys that'll be able to make impact uh, year one. Yeah, I agree entirely. Um, they definitely viewed this this draft through the lens of uh, not just 22, but 23 and beyond. Um, I, I tweeted out after the either the first or the second night that um, I felt like the Titans were making two things eminently clear in this draft. One was that they are far more comfortable with their existing roster for 2022 than you are. And by you, I mean everybody else. Um, and, and two, that they are not approaching this year from a draft standpoint, from an offseason standpoint, um, they're just the whole roster building process. They're not approaching it from a where we have blinders on for 2022. It's the, this is not the 2021 Rams. It's not even the 2021 Titans in terms of how all in they are. Um, and I'm actually writing an article right now that is a long form piece that I think you guys are really going to like later this week at some point on broadwaysportsmedia.com about how uh, just addressing the question whether or not the Titans are contenders this year or if they are rebuilding. And the answer is um, actually kind of neither. It's a little bit of both, and it's an interesting topic that I think you'll enjoy. We're going to get into the draft in more detail over the next week or so. 
we're going to um, be doing episodes on each player, um, just a little draft spotlight episode for each player that the Titans drafted. Spend more time on the higher draft picks, obviously, but we'll get to uh, all nine of them. And uh, that'll be over the next probably uh, two weeks that we'll get to everybody. And we'll just talk about our, our general thoughts in the draft. But for today's episode, there's just too much news in the Titans world for us to to not address what has gone on in the wake of the explosive weekend uh, with the draft that they had. There are three topics that we're going to get to today. The first of which is the biggest AJ Brown. It led the weekend. It, it started things off with a bang on Thursday night when AJ Brown was in case you've been living on Mars for the last weekend to the Philadelphia Eagles um, signed a massive new contract and uh, he was traded away by the Titans for the chance to move up to the 17th overall pick in the draft to draft his uh, heir apparent Traylon Burks out of Arkansas, who will come in and do his very best to um, try to fill those really large shoes. But today I I want us to talk about the situation as a whole, specifically really the the fact that AJ Brown on his way out apparently lied pretty bold facedly in my opinion um, so there, there were three, three articles that I want to, to pinpoint, and then I want to get your thoughts and I'll share my thoughts, James. The first of which was the first article on this topic that really made the rounds from our buddy, Teron Davenport on the 20, the morning of the 29th. So I believe that that was Friday morning or Saturday morning. Uh, no Friday. Yeah. Friday morning. He spoke to AJ Brown, I guess, either the night of the, the trade or the the morning right after and talk to him about his side of, of the deal and the story. And, um, you know, AJ essentially said, well, not essentially, he said, quote, this wasn't my fault. Um, he said, quote, I wanted to stay, but the steel, the, the deal they offered was a low offer. The deal they offered wasn't even 20 million a year. He said that the Titans offer topped out at 16 million a season with incentives that would have driven the deal up to 20 million on average. And he didn't think that was valuing him um, highly enough. That was a, a story that that made the rounds first. But then it came out from uh, two sources that I trust, one locally and one nationally. Paul Kaharski here in town, he wrote an article um, later that day, just a couple of hours later around lunchtime on Friday, that A.J. Brown, the headline was, A.J. Brown actually asked the Titans for over $25 million a year, which just headline alone clearly indicative of somebody not telling the truth. And in these cases, a lot of what we're going to talk about about this is not hearsay or speculative. It's educated guesses. So we don't know much in this story for sure, but we can make educated guesses. And in cases where there are two sides to the story, the the general rule of thumb obviously is the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but I, I have a feeling that it's closer to one side than the other, and we'll get into that here in a moment. But in the Paul Kaharski article from uh, Friday afternoon, he said that A.J. Brown, uh, he, he recalled that, that A.J. Brown had told ESPN that he would have taken $22 million a year to stay with the Titans. But Kaharski says he actually asked for over $25 million a year and an $80 million guarantee and would not have stepped on the field once he was back with the team unless the massive deal was in place. So he was going to be holding out of OTAs, likely tweeting his complaints. It it was promising to turn into, you know, a a real disaster if, if things were to progress and him not to get a, not just I mean, massive is under underselling it. $80 million guaranteed would have been the largest guaranteed money. Any wide receiver had received in a contract ever by a country mile. Um, and it was it was reported also that day, or actually, I believe it was sat, yeah Saturday morning by Diana Rossini, who's a, obviously a national reporter for ESPN. She covers the Titans quite a bit, and her article um, on the Bulletin.com from Broadway to Broad Street details what she was told about the AJ Brown trade. This paragraph was the most telling, and I tweeted this out saying that if if this is true, if being the operative word, then AJ Brown plainly unabashedly lied on his way out of town. She said at 24, at 24 years old, Brown was entering the final year of his rookie contract with the Titans that would have paid him around $4 million in 2022 
More than a month ago, his representatives informed the Titans organization that he wanted a massive contract extension. Brown wasn't at any of the voluntary offseason workouts, and I was told he cut off communications with his position coach and the rest of the coaching staff. After multiple conversations with sources close to Brown and the Titans, Brown wanted guaranteed money close to $80 million. By the way, I was told this was after, after he requested a trade from the Titans. So he not only wanted $80 million in guaranteed money, a record-shattering amount of guaranteed money on a wide receiver contract, but that came reportedly after he requested a trade from the Titans. And it was reported that San Francisco's Debo Samuel, the other 2019 wideout who wants a massive new contract, requested a trade as well. Uh, but hearing Brown had also made that request is new, was new information to her uh, at the time of writing this article. The players shared the same agent. So those two stories are directly in conflict. Um, and I, I have some significant thoughts on it. But James, I'm assuming you've been keeping up with this story throughout the weekend and, and you're aware of you know, the amount of money that, that Brown asked for, how much he ended up getting paid, which, by the way, was you know, he, he went and signed a deal with the, the Eagles that ended up giving him, I, th I think, north of $30 million less in guaranteed money than what his reported asking price was from the Titans. So, James, get, just give me your general thoughts on the A.J. Brown situation as he get, gets out of town here. Um, no, this is actually the first time I'm hearing about A.J. Brown being traded. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with it. Oh, no. I'm so sorry to have broken <laughs> that news to you here. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. I need to revisit my notes. Uh, no, but like, I think that the thing with AJ Brown is you can never, like, obviously the, the players aren't directly involved in the contract negotiations. They're usually, unless they're like self-representing, right. Uh, they're usually pretty, uh, you know, closed off separate from all of the details. And my guess is that, it's a situation where like, you know, the only, the only kind of information that AJ's really getting about the negotiation is his agent will be like, mm. you know, Hey, they're, they came back with, you know, 20 million a year, whatever guaranteed, like that kind of thing. Right. Um, and I think that, that like not to discount the fact that AJ was pretty clearly like dishonest with Tehran. I do think that he was uh, also very misinformed about kind of how the contract negotiations were playing out. Mm. And, um, so I think that is an element to this whole thing. Um, but yeah, so ultimately it was just kind of a situation where I think, uh, you know, for whatever reason, obviously not knowing the details, he, you know, felt like he was being undervalued. I think that there was also some confusion about him, including the last year of his rookie deal into right. the APY for his new deal. So I don't really know like how, how much of the, the drama was driven by AJ Brown and how much was driven by the agents. But when you look at, the reality that John Robinson was faced with. I mean, I think they handled it really well and they said, okay, like the unfortunate reality is that we're, we're just not in a place where we're going to be able to keep AJ Brown. And so let's, you know, take this trade where we can get a first round pick, try to replace him through the draft, uh, get a cheaper option and uh, you know, move on from there. Right. Okay. So a handful of things. One, um, you're coming at it from a perspective that I think is is totally fair. Um, and there are a number of uh, th these kinds of things always become a pissing match online, but, you know, t taking sides, it's very binary as the internet is wont to be. It's the people that are siding with AJ and he can do no wrong and the team and they can do no wrong, which of course is foolish on, on both ends. But I think if you're going to defend AJ, what you said is, is a totally fair point. It, it is pretty much, a fact at this point that what AJ Brown said was mis dishonest. It was, it was not true. Now he could have accidentally been dishonest, I suppose, or mistaken. That's, that's the, um, I guess, good faith, best case scenario for him is like you said, his agents 
got the offer from the Titans, which was going to be $20 million APY in new money after his, because again, he had one year of his rookie contract left, which was $4 million ish that was owed to him. And then he was looking for a contract extension beyond then. So if his agents got a 20 million APY offer of, you know, you know, four, four years, $80 million onto his existing contract, which would have been 20 a year after he finished out his rookie contract. Well, you can average that together and say, okay, well then over five years, this contract is going to be worth 16 million APY. And they may have gone and taken that information to AJ and said, they're only giving you 16 APY over the next five years, not explaining that in new money is 20 a year, right? So, I mean, we don't know the details on that, but that that could totally have been the case. And either way, either AJ was mistaken about that or he was lying about that because that's the information he gave to Tehran and that's not what appears to be the the information that, that is accurate from what the team was actually offering. Now, the, the part that that is more telling to me is is the report that he requested a trade before any demands of of guaranteed money or you know contract talks had, had really begun it sounds like i mean i i can't say for sure that contract discussions hadn't begun but for you know a guaranteed money demand to go out after a trade request which you know like you said players aren't super entwined in in the negotiations when it comes to contracts their agents represent them and handle that business side of things they are super involved in when you ask when you request a trade like that is you know that's something that has to come from aj's mouth to his agents to the front office of the tennessee titans and so for him to request a trade and then and then demand 80 million dollars guaranteed is that that is him telling the team i have no intentions and and maybe never had any intention of coming back to the tennessee titans unless you break the bank for me unless you absolutely break the bank i don't intend on coming back here and and so that's just a funny money number he threw out as you know a last ditch chance for them or last chance offer for them to retain him is what it sounds like to me and and you know he went to philadelphia this week and has had his introductory press conference and in his press conference he was asked about whether or not he requested a trade out of tennessee and he said that he didn't want to look backwards and that he wanted to move forward and 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 gave a non-answer. We, that that is not an answer to that question. And so that pretty that essentially confirmed, pretty much confirmed yes, though. Right. Pretty much tells us, yeah, I requested a trade because if you didn't, there would be zero reason for you not to clear that up right then and there. So he requested a trade. Now the the timeliness of it is in question. I guess you you could you could um, question whether or not it came before or after certain money demands were made. But you'd think with that report hanging out there all weekend long. And, and his side, uh, his camp being, you know, interested in clearing his name, if that was incorrect, they would have come out by now and, and cleared that up. So it, it, we have every reason to make an educated guess and say, what probably happened here is he had no intention of coming back to Tennessee. He requested a trade. He then gave them a last chance offer of funny money, guaranteed money that he knew he would never get. And then he went and he's, you know, going to play not for, but with his best friend, Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia which I think pretty obviously played a significant role in this. There, there, are, another, there are a couple other aspects of this that I, I want to kind of debunk. Um, there's you know, a lot of talk about this online, obviously. And on, on Twitter, there's a lot of misconceptions about this. One misconception, and James, maybe you can speak to this, the idea that the Titans couldn't afford to pay AJ what he's worth and or what the Eagles are paying him. That, that's not true, right? I mean, they could have paid him 25 APY. They could have made that work if they wanted to make it work. Yeah, they uh they absolutely I think could have given him a reasonable top of the market contract extension, but the, you know, whatever the whatever the purpose of kind of like this not to get too dramatic, but like misinformation campaign, whether, you know, how purposeful it was, the the result is that the general understanding of the contract situation among the national media is that the Titans were cheap and offered him 16 million a year. And uh, you know, then he requested a trade. I listened to like every podcast I've listened to that's talked about it has uh, like the understanding is the information from Tehran's initial report because right. 
Like that's, that's how it is. There's a limited amount of attention that national media is going to pay to uh, the Tennessee Titans. And so it's kind of a situation where the first report that was incorrect is right. Well, and there's a reason that AJ decided to get on that night at, you know, nine o'clock with Tehran, like I'm sure him and Tehran, you know, formed a decent relationship with his time here in Tennessee, but he's not carving out that special night where he's getting paid a hundred million dollars to talk to an ESPN reporter. If he's not trying to, you know, his camp is telling him to jump out in front of this information train. Right. I mean, right. And then, you know, Buck uh, rising said that he texted the Titans um, the night of the draft or actually mm-hmm. the, the morning after the first round. Right. Because he was about to get on uh, the radio and, and basically like rip into them for being cheap with AJ Brown and he texted them and said, like, hey, is there anything that uh, you want to clear up before I do three hours of radio where I, I'm, like, overly critical of you? And they said, we don't talk about contract specifics with the media. But then later that day, after basically all of national media was kind of roasting John Robinson for being cheap, then, you know, you can tell when all the beat reporters are tweeting something at the exact same time, they got a mass text with – uh, you know, ostensibly the actual details of the contract negotiation, uh, you know, and in an attempt to kind of clear things up. Yeah. And, and um, you know, we, we'll move on from this topic because we'll, I'm sure this, there'll be ramifications of this throughout the season. Obviously the direct parallel and comparison of Traylon Burks coming in and as close to literally replacing a guy as you possibly can um, when, when, you are drafted as a result of them being traded away and you are playing the same position and you have been compared to this player for a a while now. Um, He's got big shoes to fill and we'll be talking about it for a long time. It's interesting. The the last thing I'll say is um, I tweeted out earlier today. There's also on, on Twitter, there's a pretty serious, everybody stop talking about AJ Brown contingency on, on twitter.com that are just a group of people that are very mad and upset that anybody is even talking about him anymore. And it's a a lot of just move on. He went and he got his money. I feel I'm happy for him. Who cares? Or maybe he didn't want to be here, but who cares? Like, I I get it. It's, it's some of your, you know, some of y'all's coping mechanism is to just not that you just don't want to think about it. You don't want to talk about it, obviously. Um, But I'm I'm here to tell you (laughs) if the mention of AJ Brown in Titans media and Titans circles bothers you that much. Oh boy. You you are in for a rough couple of, I mean, what, years? Like, this is something that's going to be talked about for a long, 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 long time. In Minnesota, Justin Jefferson is awesome, and they still talk about Stephon Diggs. Like, that's just how it's going to go, man. So it's like five seconds into this, you got to get over it because you're going to hear a lot about him. Um, and, and we'll talk more, I think, in our in our draft recap shows coming up in the next two weeks. We'll talk more about whether or not the Titans made the right move, maybe the specifics of the 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 calculus that goes into roster building and and finances and contracts. And and really the, the main thing is just like this team in particular, the way this team operates, the way that they want to play football, whether or not they made the right decision for them based on the value of receivers to them, which is different than the value of receivers to the league. Um, so that's a little tease for a topic for another day. Let's move on today though. Unless did you have anything else to talk about, AJ Brown, James? The only thing I would say is that I hope uh, Christian Fulton locks him down when uh, Titans play the Eagles. I'm True. excited for that matchup. That will be an incredible matchup, and the talk leading up to that, I, I can't imagine. I would, I, I, I would love to for that to be – I don't know be, if it's here or if it's away. I would love to be – so if if you think 17 games in a season and we just take the the what I expect to be the classic A.J. Brown season, yeah. he'll play – 10 or 11 of those games, eight of those games that he plays, he'll be dominant. And then he'll have like three games where he just can't catch anything for whatever reason. I hope one of those games is when they play the Titans. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That would be incredible. The the worst case scenario, like you said, he only plays, you know, the majority, but not all of the the games in a year. Worst case is for him to get an injury um, and, and miss the, the Titans game, which I'm trying to check here. I don't know. Okay, to so me, the, it is, to me it is in, case, it's in Philadelphia. To me, the worst case is that he goes off for like 200 yards. 
Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's the worst case. But but the most disappointing case, I suppose, Mm -hmm. the most disappointing case is for him to and he he won't do that. I mean, because he'll just get ripped up and down for um, bowing out against his old team. He'll want to he'll want to play that game. We're moving on. We move to the next topic, which is uh, another significant story that just happened today. The Tannehill press conference. He spoke people. He finally, he finally is back with the Titans at the Titans facility. He had his first press conference in front of the the press pool today since uh, directly following his three interception performance against the Bengals in the playoffs in January uh, the game, a game at which James and I have both witnessed in the cold um, was extremely painful, obviously to watch just from an objective standpoint, really ugly football. Um, and he has not spoken to the media since, which has been a sticking point for a lot of people. He did not speak on Walker cleanout day earlier, later that week. He was not here for voluntary workouts uh, a couple of weeks ago before the draft. Uh, this is his first time back, his first time speaking. And I want to talk to a couple of, we're going to play a couple of clips from the actual press conference today that I think are important, but, um, you know, I'll preface this by saying, I personally am not team Ryan Tannehill. I am not team anti Ryan Tannehill. I am. I'm always approaching my analysis and coverage of the Titans in the NFL from an objective standpoint in this professional setting. But in, in this case in particular, like I am, I am neutral both professionally and personally, Um, like personally as somebody that grew up a massive Titans fan, I'm rooting for him to do well, but my, personal opinion on him is that he's not the future of the quarterback position. And although I'd love to be wrong, I just, I'm, I'm hoping for him to be good, but expecting him to be what he is, which is pretty middle of the pack and limited, Um, but good enough, right? He's in that Kirk cousins tier. Now from a professional standpoint, I'm, I'm pretty much just as neutral and kind of share the same opinion. They line up because I think it's just objectively true. I've not been, And I'll let you speak to your piece on this, James. I'm not speaking for James here. I'm speaking for myself. It's not bothered me, um, his behavior in the offseason. I've I've understood it. I think it's kind of a silly postseason, offseason. We're bored. We need to make up topics. We need stuff to talk about on the radio three hours a day kind of topic. Or we need something to be outraged about on Twitter. And there are some of you that really need to get a hobby because, holy cow, when you fire off 19, you know, Tannehill tweets before before 9 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. It's a, it's a rough look for you is all I'm saying, especially when everybody who has eyeballs knows that Ryan Tannehill is not on social media for himself, clearly. And that's something we'll talk to more here in a moment. But a couple of things that I want to just talk about. These are all things that people have been outraged about with Ryan Tannehill. And oh boy, have they hated him for it. He, he addressed them. Today in the press conference, uh, James, did you get a chance to listen to the press conference or are you going to be hearing these clips here for the first time? I did listen to the press conference. Yes. Okay. All right. So we're going to review a couple of clips. For those of you that missed it, we'll go over a couple of the important things. Um, I, I put out a poll when it was announced, it was announced like 15 minutes before he went in front of the press that he was going to be speaking today. And in those 15 minutes, it was a, a lot of hubbub. You could, you could hear the, um, the outrage ovens set to broil. They were preheating to broil. You could, you could feel the tension on the Titans Twitter streets. Uh, I put out a poll. If I said, if you're still furious with Ryan Tannehill, uh, this was after the press conference. I said, did that press conference make you feel any better? And uh, 20, almost a quarter of the people said that it did. Uh, 10% said sort of about 20% said not one bit. And Almost this is the one that surprised me the most. Almost 50% of respondents said that they weren't really mad at him to begin with, which is a promising sign because I think the people that were outraged over the things he spoke about, it, like it, it's totally, it is totally fair. And I would recommend it if you're a Titans fan to be upset with him for his performance in the playoffs and to not like just you know forgive and forget on that. Like obviously you have to move past it because the past is the past, but it's totally fair to still be very displeased with him for that. And I think it's even fair to say, you know, he's proven himself as a regular season quarterback. I don't care much about that anymore. I expect that from him to get it done in the regular season. I now expect him to take the next step in the playoffs or for the Titans to look to replace him. I think that that is fair. Um, 
But there are a lot of things that people have been mad about that are not fair. One of which he addressed in the press conference, the Celsius reach in. And listen, this podcast, James and I, we pride ourselves on this show being pride ourselves is the wrong word because I think there's a place for it. Shows like football and other F words, which we love. We're great friends with both of those guys. We both listen to the show. They're um, I think it's fair to say that they're very much more a um, like pop culture based show uh, in the Titans media app ecosystem here in the atmosphere. Um, they're more interested in the like the goings on on Twitter and the, you know, having a finger on the pulse of the fan base. And it's it's a, a, a fantastic fan show. But we our topics tend to stray away from spending 30 minutes on, you know, a Celsius photo that people on Twitter get all outraged on. That's just not our thing. We do news. We do analysis. Um, but I mean, this is one where I, I want to just touch on it because it was a part of this big press conference, the Celsius boat picture. That was, I think, pretty clearly not posted by Ryan Tannehill, as most of his photos aren't, um, but also was probably not from the time when it was posted. It, it seemed pretty obvious that you could infer this was a picture from a while ago that is now being posted as an advertisement by Celsius Beverages. Like it, it was a photo that I think was an outrage on the Internet for no reason. James, did you see any reason in that picture causing anybody to be upset about anything? Yeah, my first reaction when I saw that was like, I mean, it was barely even a reaction because I just kind of scrolled past it, but it was like, oh, an ad. Oh, they, he, (laughs) uh, he like agreed to this advertisement and uh, they were like, okay, let's post this advertisement. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know. The, the outrage by about it was, was pretty ridiculous to me. Very. Um, you know, and it, it kind of plays into this idea that athletes need to spend 50% of their waking hours working out and the other 50% studying film. And it's just like, <laughs> right. That, that's just not the reality of like physically and mentally how much you can, uh, you can take in like um, it, 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 it's a similar thing to, comments about Taylor Lewan having his podcast and anytime an athlete comes out with a mixtape or whatever, it's like, Oh, you know, maybe you would have cut that ball if you were spending more time practicing instead of in the studio or whatever. It's like, it's just so dumb. Uh, The, the amount of the amount of time that people expect it to be physically possible for someone to dedicate to one thing. And so, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I, I, I think that that was probably some of the most ridiculous outrage. I also think this, this idea of being mad at Ryan Tannehill is kind of childish, I guess. Like, I don't know. I, why are you getting mad at sports players? And like, why are you acting like they owe you some explanation? They're professionals. They like Ryan Tannehill understands that he played poorly. He sees, you know, the, the, uh, you know, comments on, you know, whatever, like social media, if he's even on there. Okay. But does he, yeah, that's my, I don't think that he does. Whether he sees the specific things, he's very well aware. I think he's aware of it. Yeah. He's aware that he's uh, not well liked among Titans fans right now, but yeah, man, it's just weird. Like these are, these are like grown men that, that this is their job and like they're, they are, you know, trying to perform to the best of their abilities. You can, analyze that you know from an analytical perspective and from a a you know from the perspective of of criticizing their on the field play but for it to become this like personal thing where it's like ryan Tannehill ruined january for me or february and he owes me an explanation explanation like give me a break he it's not about yeah it's not it's not it's not about getting mad like you can get mad at professional athletes I, I everyone that watches sports gets mad but it's like you said on a personal if you are personally mad at them like as a person as a human being right. that's 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 a rough look man like that's that that's a tough scene for you and you may not realize it but um normal people look at you and and f- maybe feel bad for you if you are still you know tweeting about especially it's the holding a grudge that is my favorite um and the fact that you know what really is my favorite 
is the fact that it's very clear that Ryan Tannehill is not on his social media much at all. Um, yeah. And, he, and so it's screaming into the void. Like all these people, he's lived rent-free in their heads for three, four months now. Um, there's no athlete. <laughs> there's no athlete where it's more obvious that he has just outsourced his social media presence to some yes. like firm or whatever. A hundred percent. He has somebody, he has some, he has some like 20 something year old social media manager managing his social media account. And he pops on there on occasion to send out a tweet of his own congratulating his coach for winning coach of the year or something like that's not, right. it's not his thing. Um, and so you're just screaming into the void and, and you are personally mad at somebody who didn't do a thing in a game that you wanted them to do months ago. Um, there's, there's a line there. There's, I'm not saying that sports is not serious, that you shouldn't be mad, but there's a line and you need to be an adult about it and you can hold it against him, but to be personally actively mad, like an adult level of hatred for somebody is so dumb. Um, but there are a lot of dummy dummies out there. And a lot of you, uh, no, nobody's listening to this show, obviously, because we only cater to the highest in, intelligent, uh, highest intelligence folks amongst the Titans fans and, and ecosystem. However, you're probably aware of you're tangentially connected to a, a lot of idiots out there. And here are a couple other things those idiots have gotten mad about. So the Celsius boat picture, he did confirm today was a picture from like March that was taken and then used as an ad later. I can understand the tone deafness part of it. Like, oh, it's a it's a bad look for him to post that the day that he doesn't show up to voluntary workouts, which in and of itself doesn't bother me at all. Again, he was away. He 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 verified today in the press conference that he was away from voluntary workouts for the first two weeks because he and his family were renovating their house in Florida and that it was best for him to be down there with his family to help oversee the renovations of their house. And now he's back two weeks later. And he says that in the process, he was in constant communication with coaches and players. And he's been talking to the new guys. He also said that he reached out to the new guys that were drafted Malik Willis and Traylon Brooks in particular that he named when they were drafted the night of. Um, and, and so these are all things that people have been really mad about for no reason. Quit, quit being clowns, please. I'm now I'm screaming into the void because people aren't going to quit, but um, if it's you stop it, get some help. Um, here's, here's another, here's another topic that I want to, and we'll play a clip right after I, I read this. And, and I'm not going to say who this person is uh, from Twitter because I don't know who they are in particular. And I, you know, they were in my mentions today, but they weren't coming at me. I, I also, the other thing is they are not like, this is not their take. This is a pretty common one out there. Um, they're just an example that made me think of this and, and want to bring it up. This person said that, uh, and I'll paraphrase that they, they didn't know how much they, they didn't think that Ryan Tannehill was aware of how much uh, uh, of a fumble his performance was and that it, it was our chance to get to the Super Bowl that the Chiefs in 2021 weren't the same ones that the Titans played in 2019 in the AFC Championship and that they could have beat them, and that Ryan Tannehill, an offensive coordinator, literally blew it. Nothing he can say that will ever change that or cause me to forgive him. But the key there is that I, I don't even think he knows how much he ruined our chances or ruined my life. I don't even think he knows, or maybe I don't even think he cares let's listen to this clip and it's, it's a clip of, of him talking about the, the mental health toll that the game took went on, on him in the aftermath and, and just what he went through in the aftermath of the game, dealing with that personally. Brian, how much is it? The playoff loss still linger with you and bother you. And do you, I guess, listen to any of the things that are said, you know, in terms of people wanting to, put the blame on you for that for that loss it's a scar it's a deep scar you know it was a, a lot of sleepless nights um, every time I closed my eyes I was I was uh, re-watching the game in my head um, didn't get a whole lot of sleep for for weeks and weeks after the game um, was in a dark place and it took me a while and a lot of work to, to get out of it you know it wasn't something that that went away easily man it's still a scar that that I'll carry with me you know, throughout the rest of my life, you know, but just like a, a, a cut on your arm, you know, starts off as a wound. Um, you're able to, uh, to heal from it and uh, it turns into a scar. It never leaves you, but it's always there and it can remind you. And now it's, it's fuel for me. It's fuel for me to, uh, to work and, and get ready with, 
uh, with a passion and coming to this season with, with a fire and um, you know a desire to win like I've never had before. You mentioned being in a dark place after the Bengals game. What did it take to get out of that, or it, or are you, or do you feel like you're still maybe in that dark place? No, I've kind of worked through it. You know, um, like I said, it's a scar that that uh, sticks with me. But um, therapy, you know, talking to people, um, time, all of the above. Um, yeah, it was it was tough. You know, it was tough. You know, it's not not a situation you want to be in. Um, you know, you, you prepare so long and so hard to put yourself in that in the position to um, go chase your dreams and and to go out and play beneath the standard that i have for myself um it stung hurt and uh like i said a lot of sleepless nights uh, a lot of reflecting re-watching the game over and over in my head um but yeah it took a lot of work to get through it you know it wasn't wasn't a day it wasn't a week it was weeks and weeks and weeks to uh to, to get through it, uh, you know, a lot of sessions. And, you know, at this point, I can look back at it, recognize it for what it was, and learn from it and, uh, and move on. Had therapy been something you'd done before, Ryan, or was that new after this? No, I've, I've you know, been doing that um, for a little while now. Um, but definitely, you know, I think uh, this is the first time that it probably I absolutely needed it to pull me out of a, a dark space. So James, I, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but that it, it makes comments like the one we read from the the Twitter user right before this clip seem really, really foolish. Um, the idea that he doesn't know or doesn't care how how big a deal that game was, I think you could have guessed without him saying it explicitly how much of an impact that performance had on him as a as a human being. But for him to come out and, and be that honest, which I was kind of surprised that he even spoke that much about it candidly today. Um, clearly, it it mattered a lot to him. He had to go seek out therapy from the amount of depression and, uh, you know, just how much it was kind of ruining his mental well-being. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to this idea that a lot of fans have that they care more about the outcome of the game than the mm. players do. And I remember, like, I've always been someone, I feel like, that, um, like, I, I just don't get very emotional about sports. Like, for whatever flaws I have, one of my strengths, I think, is being able to just accept a sports result and, like, move on. Um, and I remember, like, as a kid, my dad, when I would be upset about the Titans losing or Indiana losing, which both of those happened very frequently, my dad would say, I guarantee you like the players care way more about it than you do. And that it was just kind of like good perspective is like, yeah, this is literally their entire life. And for, you know, like me watching a game, that's a hobby that I can just kind of move on from. So just kind of, I think people need to need to improve. I don't know how to phrase it. People need to really consider that as upset as you might feel about you know the result of some sports game like the the players that are involved in it just care so much more about it and it's like literally their entire it's you know money for their family it's you know their their public image it's just way more important to what they've dedicated their lives to doing at a high level right like obviously um it's going to matter to them. So it like, you know, nobody, nobody wants Ryan Tannehill to be see. I don't think anybody, any rational adult wants Ryan Tannehill to have to go to therapy because of football. Um, you can, you can want him to not be your quarterback anymore, but also not want him as a human being to be mentally uh, hobbled by the, the outrage that he's feeling. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's just some perspective. I don't really have a, a take on it other than clearly he cares. And I think people have been pretty foolish over the last couple of months to insinuate that he hasn't based on his actions stepping away. Um, frankly, it kind of seems like he stepped away to try to get away from the madness that that he was being beseeched by um, here in Nashville and in, in Titan circles. The next clip, the second clip that I want to talk about, and it's it's the last thing we'll talk about on the Tannehill press conference. We'll use it to transition into our last topic. This is the clip that made the most rounds today from this press conference. 
And it was him being asked about Malik Willis, who was drafted by the Titans in the third round, uh, 86th overall, I believe, if I'm correct off the top of my head. Uh, he was their fourth selection, and it was a miracle that he even fell to them. It shockingly, um, fell to them. One of the most shocking things of the entire draft, really, that the Titans ended up with the quarterback that many analysts considered to be their quarterback one going into the draft. And so he's in a weird I'm not sure if there's another example, James, of this ever happening. If you can think of one, tell me where a guy who was drafted the fourth player picked by a team in the very tail end of the third round of the draft, low key having such high expectations. He may be the, the, like the third round draft pick with the shouldering the most expectations in the history of the third round by kind of a country mile. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. You look at other third round draft picks over the years. It's Will Greer, Mason Who? Rudolph, Gross, uh, Davis Webb, C.J. Beathard, mm. Cody Kessler, Jacoby Brissett. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, I think, definitely has a higher profile as a as a quarterback as a prospect than any of those guys. But still, you know, being picked in the third round it really does do a lot of good to kind of minimize the expectations year one um the pressure to the pressure to put in Malik Willis anytime that Ryan Tannehill throws a bad pass and then also you know like Mike Vrabel and John Robinson it's not like their regime is tied to Malik Willis in the same way it would be if he was uh, their 26th overall pick or 18th, um, you know, he's just kind of a, a flyer. And if he doesn't work out, everybody will say, yeah, I mean, he's a third round quarterback. He's not going to, you know, most likely isn't going to work out. So um, I think, I think that just everything about uh, his fall into the third round just makes it s- like so much better of a situation in general. Yeah, it, it, that's a good point. And it is interesting kind of, interestingly kind of both that his expectations are lower than they definitely would have been if he'd gone when he was projected, but also higher than anybody else in that third round um, by a lot. I'd say Um, he's kind of being viewed as like the Titans draft pick one a or one B in this draft. It's it's the draft. There's a lot of guys that I think the Titans success going forward is going to, you know, rest on a lot of these guys succeeding. Um, But really this draft class is going to be, judged based on how Traylon Burks and Malik Willis pan out, um, which is crazy because one was the 17th overall pick and the other barely went in the third round and was the fourth selection by the team. But that that's kind of a, a sidebar to what I was wanting to get to here with the Ryan Tannehill clip. He was asked about Malik Willis today in the press conference. He did confirm that he'd reached out to Willis the night of his draft and that he was not, uh, he was not, told and or asked by the Titans uh, Vrabel or Robinson, the whole front office did not let him know that they were going to make that selection. That was kind of big news today. I, that seems like a nothing burger to me. If you're a, you know, first round pick, I think in that situation that that makes sense for there to be some courtesy there, just shoot him a text at least. But at, like, at what point in the draft are you taking a quarterback that you have to like? Do you do you think the Patriots shot Mac Jones a text because they were taking Bailey Zappi in the fifth? Like, at what at what point is the cutoff where we're just going to take them and you're just going to deal with it, right? I mean, that, that's that's a ridiculous thing for people to be upset with. But well, especially like they traded up for him, so they're they're kind of they're juggling a lot of things in terms of. True. managing the board and trying to make sure like I, I don't think that sending Ryan Tannehill a text is is or should be the, near the top of their priority list yeah and so those are the the little the bits that we got um in terms of news from from that but the the clip that I keep dancing around here that we're going to play here in just one moment is Ryan Tannehill being asked um a question about Malik and their what their relationship is going to look like. And this is, I'll just go ahead, we'll play the clip and then talk about it. Ultimately, probably his goal is to take your job. I mean, that's part of uh, being in a quarterback room in the same room. You know, we're, we're competing against each other. We're, uh, you know, watching the same tape. We're, we're doing the same drills. 
Uh, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, but um, you know, if he learns learns from me along the way, then um, then that's a great thing. I want to hear your thoughts on that question, James, which, by the way, the question kind of hard to hear in the clip, as far as I can decipher from listening over and over, I believe that they asked, how do you handle being a mentor for Malik when ultimately, probably his goal is to take your job? Uh, Jared Stillman, the, the, the clown on the radio over at 1025, the zone, the zone, 1025, the game, um, who the 1025, I'm not calling a clown. I've, I've got nothing against that station. Stillman, I think, is a very unserious and um, foolish person who I do not respect. But um, this this question was fitting for him to ask in such an interesting and thoughtful way. Um, what was your thought on on Tannehill's response and the the main quote that's floating around that he does not think it's his job to be Malik Willis's uh, to be Malik Willis's mentor? The th- the thing about the situation or the thing about this kind of discussion topic that I don't really understand is what actually like functionally would be the difference between Ryan Tannehill being actively being a mentor and not like what is a specific thing piece Mm. of information whatever that ryan Tannehill would convey to malik willis if he was a quote mentor uh that he will be hiding from him now that he's quote not a mentor like they're they are there in the quarterback room um you know the the way that every single quarterback room uh, around the nfl and in college operates is that it's kind of a a teamwork situation like the the backup quarterback's holding the clipboard he's you know looking for stuff on the microsoft surface and saying like hey they're giving you this look and i mean like it's a collaborative effort and the 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 mentorship or the kind of um you know development by osmosis that uh malik willis will receive it's it's passive it's not it's not ryan Tannehill like sitting down with him for eight hours a day and and teaching him uh how to be an nfl quarterback from the ground up it's just kind of like passively picking things up and so to me like as long as they have a as long as they have a healthy professional relationship like that's all that really matters my expectation is not for Ryan Tannehill to take him under his wing. And like, even if he was doing that, I, I like, even if he was saying like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be his mentor and all of this. Um, my reaction to it is that a lot of that would be kind of performative. I, I, I just think yes. like, I think ultimately the, the reality difference between the two situations is negligible. Yeah. I mean, in terms of what tangibly would be different mentor versus not a mentor, it would literally have to be Ryan Tannehill just giving Malik Willis the cold shoulder, not talking to him. It is like having a relationship and not having a relationship. That's, that's the whole difference. And obviously he's not a a total jerk of a human being. He's not going to, he's not going to just block Malik Willis out and try to cut him off at the knees at every turn. Um, You're right. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and this is shocking. I know you may want to sit down to hear this, but the quote that's going around, obviously, that quote, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, uh, was actually the first half of a sentence that finished. But if he learns from me along the way, then that's a great thing, which you obviously just heard in the clip that we played. That's not, I'm not going to mentor him, end of sentence. That's, it's not my job to mentor him, but if he learns stuff along the way, then great. That's the correct, like, of course, that's your answer, right? That, of course, it is. That is the, clear and obvious professional acceptable answer that you should give what are the other options for answers there right he could say yeah i can't uh, you know i can't wait to mentor malik willis and um you know i'm just it's i'm making it my number one priority to make sure that malik willis develops into the greatest quarterback that he can possibly be and that is that is my that is my goal going forward here as as a titan um my goal is my goal is to take 
the $30 million that I'm making and personally <laughs> transfer it into Malik Willis's bank account. <laughs> right. I'm going to spend all of the salary I'm making this year on uh, training staff for Malik Willis so we can round the clock, get this guy developed up, coach him up. And, you know, personally, I, I just can't wait. I can't wait for this guy to take my job and for me to hit the road. So that's the, that's like, what else is there for him to say there other than what he said? Uh, you know, he could have gone worse. He could have said, you know, I'm, it's not my job to mentor him. You know, he's here to take my job and I'm here to make sure that he doesn't. And uh, that's my goal. Like, I, so he didn't say that. What he said is that it's not my job. It's not in the job description of quarterback for, for me to mentor him. But obviously it's important, you know, Actions speak so much louder than words here is what I think we're trying to get to James. And uh, for example, like a guy like Alex Smith, who it's very well known that he was an incredible mentor to Patrick Mahomes in the year of crossover that they had. That wasn't something that was, that wasn't a story that was widely accepted and known and going around when he was actually the quarterback and Mahomes was backing him up. That's that kind of thing comes in post. So like, if that was the story beforehand, or if, you know, Alex Smith in his first press conference after the, the chiefs traded up in the first round, by the way, to get Patrick Mahomes. If he had, if he had said like, yeah, like I'm just going to be a fantastic mentor to Patrick Mahomes. And I just can't wait to be working with him. Everyone would have been like BS man. That's, (laughs) that's so, like you said, that's so performative and it's so disingenuous. You don't, you shouldn't say that for yourself. It should be said about you after the fact, when you have been that mentor to somebody. And I, you know, again, I'm no Ryan Tannehill stand. I'm no huge fan of Ryan Tannehill. It is my personal opinion that he is not long for the quarterback position with the Tennessee Titans. However, I know enough about the person to know that he's going to have a relationship with Malik Willis and that they're going to be fine. Do you have any more thoughts on that clip in particular? Or can we talk a little bit about Malik Willis before we get out of here? I say we move on. All right, let's move on. Malik Willis, two, two, and I don't have a ton to say on this, but the first, and we briefly, I think in the live shows, we mentioned this, um, the Malik to McNair comparison has already started to really take off. And um, it's, it's just a bad one, right? It's, it's, it's a, I've tried to tell people already online that this is a silly and dumb thing and they, they don't want to listen particularly. Um, you know, I'm talking, I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the conversation that I had with Bonafide Bro, who um, I know is a is a fan of Broadway sports media shows and may or may not be listening to this. But if he is, I know he can take it. Um, he He's big on the Malik is McNair uh, 3.0 or 2.0. I think he he was calling Vince Young 1.0, which, you know, I, I'm not in I'm not in my sports capacity into politics at all. Like I'm not about the political, I'm not trying to make anything I do political from a um, sports perspective. However, I'm surprised more people aren't like that are intelligent about football pointing out that like, um, maybe we don't run with that comp because the list of similarities between Malik Willis and Steve McNair are black Black. quarterback and mobile end of end of list. And literally mobile just, is like mobile, right? Mobile, mobile with an asterisk because it, the there. mobility couldn't have been any more different, right? Like they're, they're right. not even remotely similar in their mobility. They are not similar runners. They have similar, you know, cannons for arms, but I, you know, Steve McNair came out of college, I think far more uh, developed as a passer than, than Malik Willis currently is. Um, they both went to small schools ish, except Malik went to Liberty, which has a 50,000 uh, student enrollment. And McNair went to Alcorn State, which has uh, like a 2000 student enrollment and is an HBCU, HBCU like dramatically smaller than than a Liberty University. Um, they, you know, that's that's really the that's the end of the list. Like, so I'm surprised there aren't some, you know, more, you know, woke people that are fans of football being like, Hey, that's kind of a, that might be a little bit of a racist comparison there because they don't really have anything in common. Like, I don't care ultimately besides just the fact that I, it bothers me when a comparison is bad. And I I also do kind of care because I don't like players being, you know, labeled in a way that is going to like, I hate it for Traylon Burks that he is going to be so directly compared to AJ Brown and he can't just be his own player and take his own path. 
I'm going to hate it from Malik Willis if he is held for the next year or two by Titans media and Titans fans to the standard of Steve McNair, who, you know, no Hall of Famer, but got to a Super Bowl, was successful in the playoffs, like a, a very accomplished quarterback in the NFL. You know, if Malik Willis turns out to be a quarterback that's less than that, and, you know, and it ends up being that his legacy is tarnished because he's compared to Steve McNair for literally no reason other than being in a Titans uniform and being a black quarterback with a big arm. Um, that's going to be a real bummer. And I don't, I don't like that comparison at all. I think that there are a handful of comparisons. If you have to make a comp for Malik Willis that are far more accurate of what he could be in the league. That's, that's not Steve McNair and also like more modern because Steve McNair played in a totally different NFL. That's the end of my rant on that. Do you have any other <laughs> thoughts on Malik and McNair or, or. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think once people, see Malik Willis play the comps will become a lot more accurate if there are even comps but yeah I mean I think once people see Malik Willis play they'll see oh it's not Steve McNair it's Jake Locker (laughs) I I hope that that's not what they see immediately but it may very well be um and uh you know if so here's the thing with the Jake Locker comparison though like he's kind of underrated as a quarterback I, when I, I make take, the comparison, take. I compare Malik Willis to Jake Locker and people are like, oh my God, he's roasting Malik Willis. But like outside of the injury, I actually kind of thought that Jake Locker was like at least an average to above average quarterback. He just couldn't stay healthy. Um, but like really it's the the kind of sticking point for the comp is just the fact that they're a similar height and weight. They are extremely, extremely athletic and they have really strong arms and kind of reckless play style. Like to me, that's the best comp that I can think of. And it's a cross racial cross racial comp. So, you know, colorblind comp, baby. There we go. There you go. Um, The other thing that I, and this is tangentially related to that. This is the last topic of this long episode, but listen, there's a lot to talk about and pretty soon, you know, a couple of weeks, we're going to have, very sparse things to talk about. So we're going to milk it while we can here. And you're welcome for the extra content, by the way, quit complaining. Um, any Titans fan rooting for Malik Willis in 2022 at any point is a moron. Are you saying rooting for Malik Willis to like develop? rooting to see? No, no, no. Rooting to see him at any point in 2022. Oh yeah. But I mean, first, first three and out, um, in, you know, click on it on the Jim Wyatt tweet that's like pl- live tweeting the game, and uh, yeah. people are going to be calling for uh, Malik Willis to come in. So, like, that's always fun <laughs> when the when the backup, like, it's it'll be fun to have a backup quarterback that people um, actually want to put in. Uh, but yeah, no, I, we'll we'll get into this more when we talk specifically about the picks and the players. But yeah, to me, Malik Willis. Uh, it, lasted to the third round for a reason was Mm -hmm. still an excellent pick but he's not ready to be a year one starter yeah we will go into this in much more detail uh in coming episodes but i just wanted to you know you've put out a couple of tweets that are like draft and analytics and player evaluation related to this um but like any (laughs) this is a this is a good barometer for who is paying attention and who is not right here right this is a very easy one for you to use if you see people calling for Malik Willis at any point in the 2022 season, if you see them now excited to, you know, for him to, he should be starting week one, you know, that, that you can just, okay, file that away. Mental Rolodex. This person's not very intelligent. There we go. I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to make that claim about their intelligence. Uh, I, I for, am. All right, that's, every, an easy, that's an easy for everything. Take. But uh, I would say with, within the realm of football, I would say that is not a very intelligent take. All right, fine. I'll say without, within the realm of football, but I'm also going to say there's a more likely than not chance. Um, like here's, they're here's just the not thing, all that smart. The thing you realize, like, and Easton, you're you're young. What are you? You're younger than me. You'll realize this when you get older. But <laughs> okay, tell me. People, uh, <laughs> people can be smart in one aspect and dumb in another aspect. Of, yeah. You know, like there are doctors that I'm sure have terrible uh, sports opinions, right? So, um. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm getting my knee operated, I don't really care what what your Malik Willis take is, but I will unfollow you. Okay, well, so I have that. I think I appreciate your your sage, um, elderly knowledge. 
Um, but the two things that I will say in response to that are one, uh, those people are, are weak and dumb and uh, they should be like me who has fantastic sports insights and opinions as well as insights and opinions in every field of life. I, I just know everything about everything. Um, so just do better. Um, and also like uh, I, I agree on a, on a serious note that that people can have opinions here or there, although I, I counter that idea with the fact that I think that people generally are not all that smart. And so I think the odds are like relatively high that if they're not smart at one thing, they're probably just not all that, that bright. That's just maybe that's my pessimistic personal view of people. There you go. <laughs> and on that <laughs> super. And, and of course I'm not, again, not talking about any of our brilliant listeners. I'm sure the the average uh, IQ of our listenership is what like 145 150 yeah somewhere in the 140s probably okay so um to all of you very intelligent folks uh, i hope that you got some entertainment from this highly uh, intelligent podcast and that you will come back we will have more episodes like i said later this week later next week player spotlights on every single player starting with trail on burks on down the line we'll talk about them all and we'll get into the maybe the later round guys that you don't know a ton about but you may very well in the near future get to know as they are worked into the Titans rotation and maybe become stars, maybe become top topics of uh, discussion as the season gets rolling here in the coming months, make sure to subscribe and share and follow on social media at Easton freeze at no flags film at the hot read pod on Twitter to get all of our show updates, football analysis. Uh, like I said, I got an article coming out later this week on RoySportsMedia.com that I think you're really going to love talking about whether the titans are contending or pretending this year and are just rebuilding uh, i think the question the question is interesting and in that the answer will surprise you follow no flags film on youtube and subscribe to his patreon and for james foster i'm easton freeze we will talk to you soon <laughs> <laughs>